Hello humans, hello humans. It's still September 23rd and it's a 9.55. This was a quick run into town. I had to pick some stuff up, which I'll get into in a second, uh, and then rush back for a uh, timed meeting back at the house. Anyway, uh, let's talk about strategies and tactics. So, uh, you're at war, you're under attack, your enemy has control of the currency you use, that currency is being debased and has less purchasing power, and that currency is debt-ridden and is basically a scam, a Ponzi scheme, uh, but you're forced to deal with it. You're forced to deal with it. You, you know, you, this is the legal tender. They've got the laws all set up. You got to use their paper and digits, etc. But it's dying. You can see it's dying. You feel the effects of it dying every time you go to buy something. The something you intend to buy is more expensive than the last time you bought it, and thus you have a hint that the currency is fading away relative to the value of real goods. And so that's what this is, a little discussion is about about strategies and tactics for periods of hyperinflation. And we've had these in the past because the uh, Wefonians, the Federal Reserve and the central bank cabal that has taken over the planet, has existed in the past uh, individually and has crapped out and they've gone through full cycle and we've seen the um, we've seen the program, we've seen the playbook as to how this all unwinds, we know what happens. There's been various times and places that you can look at and say, oh, look, we're now in a period of time that resembles um, 1922 in Weimar, Germany, or it's 1960 in um, Argentina or Chile, um, where, where we've had hyperinflation, etc. So we know how these things play out and you can devise strategies and tactics to deal with it. So the first thing to do is to decide in your, in your um, planning where you fit and what kind of strategies you need. So this is uh, relatively easy. You can divide yourself into uh, one of three groups, you know, old farts, um, middle of life, or young, right? So old farts have one kind of strategies they need because old farts have, have worked all their lives. They've accumulated some level of savings, perhaps. Um, they have some level of retirement that's owed to them and uh, they need to deal with um, uh, strategies that preserve um, their ability to pay for their retirement because they're no longer productive. And so it's sort of the opposite of the uh, very young because the young people have the uh, no accumulation of wealth necessarily, but they have the ability to uh, labor and work. And uh, so they need a strategy that provides them with the best possible return for that expended effort. Whereas the, the old guy needs the best possible surety for continued uh, purchasing power for those assets they've accumulated. And so to that point, I've gone, I had some small level of disposable income here, and I've gone to the point, gone to the level of purchasing, and that's what I've got now rattling around in the car with me, purchasing uh, new tires 
uh, for my uh, two primary vehicles. Uh, so uh, I probably need to do it for the um, for my pickup truck too, but I haven't gotten around to that. In fact, my, my truck's got issues I have to deal with because of where we're, we live, the uh, brake calipers have rusted and, and seized up on one of the front uh, wheels. So I've got to get that done and then I'll go and probably go out um, and uh, pick up more, uh, another set of tires for that, for that dually. The reason I'm in doing this, it's, it's an investment against the hyperinflation. So I know uh, as a result, of, okay, so I, I live in a very harsh area. Uh, you got to get your uh, front end aligned on all your vehicles every year because the roads are so beat up, so, so trashed by the um, traffic and the environment that your front end alignment just goes to hell. Uh, and then you drive on the beach, which doesn't help, right? Anyway, so the strategy here is that no matter how much I put into, in terms of nominal dollar price, these tires and wheels, uh, now they're going to be more expensive should I have to buy them next year. And I had a uh, uh, new tire uh, pick up a nail out here, and it wasn't really just a nail, it was a tree spike, uh, one of these um, uh, big fierce nails intended to hold a uh, tag uh, to mark a tree and uh, it fell off of a, a tree on a logging truck and my uh, car picked it up and it went through the side of the uh, tire and that was it tire couldn't be repaired because of where the, the nail went through and so here I am with the vehicle it doesn't work I need to use the other alternate vehicle and then I run into the problem of, oh, okay, I can't fix that tire. I need to get a new tire to replace it. Bear in mind that was a brand new tire. It was, um, uh, it's a used vehicle I got, but anyway, um, and it's kind of cool that too. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But um, so uh, I was shocked at how long it was gonna take to get a replacement tire. I didn't need a, a new wheel. I just needed the rubber bit. And uh, I was looking at two weeks to get that just because it was not available locally. And so we're running into these availability issues and thus it, is, it makes a lot of sense for me to have these spare tires uh, for my vehicles here. Now I'm anticipating not having to use these tires except perhaps in the case of an emergency. Um, in, uh, uh, over these next few years, right? But at some point, the wear and tear on these tires is gonna to need to have the, uh, the existing wheel tires replaced. And uh, being out in the, in the field here, I didn't wanna to have to mount the tires myself. That's why I went to the trouble of buying uh, extra set of rims. Not really necessary. I could have gone to the, could have saved myself some cash, however, the idea also is that if I ever sell these vehicles, I'll just be able to sell them with a complete new set of tires and wheels, and you just don't have to fuck with it. You just roll the tire out, jack the car up, and, and uh, put the tire on, and you're good. You know, old man approach, right? So this is what I'm talking about is this old man approach. I have specific old man needs, and so it makes sense for me to do this with... Um, uh, the tires just because of the situation I'm in and how far out I am. 
Now, other younger people, okay, so young people uh, are in a different category than the uh, middle of life guys or uh, us old farts. And young people, your strategies are gonna have to be different. So you have the ability to labor, but if you go take a job with someone, and I'm advising that you do that, it's good to have an income, uh, good to get a job and, and learn skills and so on. But if you do that, you have to bear in mind that your uh, wages, your uh, take home is gonna be constantly being degraded by the currency itself. So you'll, you'll always be racing to catch up to where you should be relative to the income from that labor. This means that the, okay, so uh, I was a young person when we went through the crisis in the 70s that resulted in very, very, very uh, deep in, uh, inflation, right? Uh, very significant inflation, but it is not the hyperinflation that we're going through now. It, it was serious, it was a, a big challenge, uh, it impacted all of our lives of the baby boom generation in a serious way, but it's nothing compared to what we're going through now. And so you have to realize that there was a huge order of magnitude difference between the current conditions and those conditions that existed in the 70s. This is also true because during those the 70s, our wages inflated against fixed rate debt. So our debt at the time was fixed rate for mortgages, car loans, et cetera, et cetera, but our wages were going up relative to that debt, so it kind of felt okay. It wasn't that bad. You could afford to make the payments because you had more coming in than, than the payments demanded. That's not the case now. So you're gonna find yourself, especially with variable rate interest loans, uh, variable interest rate loans, you're going to find yourself in a situation of having to uh, do something to, to compensate for the fact that you won't have uh, the, the money, you won't have the currency when those prices are escalating and your labor won't be able to compensate you for these rising uh, prices. So now in the 70s, the thing to do at that time uh, was to have as many jobs as you could because you were making out on the inflation in uh, hourly wages and hourly payments. These days we won't have that, okay? So, um, so now the strategy, the effective strategy would be to have a base job that provided you the income you need to feel at least stable, if not um, solid and sure and so on. At least you're stable, you've got a base level of income, right? Uh, but to have a side gig. So you need a side gig, as a young person, you're gonna need a side gig where you will be able to control the costs and the potential return for that labor. And it need not be really extensive, right? You don't have to be uh, super genius to, to make out like a bandit here, uh, just understanding some basic concepts as to how this is gonna unfold. So you're gonna be earning dollars, and so say you earned $20 an hour, but every one of those dollars is degrading such that from month to month, you have you know um, uh, less purchasing power available to you for the labor you put out in that previous month. Well, you can compensate for this, and in fact, even 
um, overcompensate for it if you get into the right sort of a thing. So uh, if you're if you have ability to control your costs and you're uh, making your money as an entrepreneur as opposed to another job. Because if you had two jobs, you're just going to be uh, locked into that, that second job, taking those hours, wearing you down, wearing your body down, and you still don't control the amount of money that's coming in. You don't control the costs that uh, are needed to expend in order to get that money. Uh, so uh, a, ben a thing to do would be to have a, a job, and around here, uh, just because where I live, I'll, I'll bring it up and what I would do if I were a young person today is that I would go and harvest all of the available um, high-value uh, fruits that grow wild out here that there would be no cost for me other than moving my body to there and the actual doing of it there would be no cost I wouldn't have to expend money to buy my raw materials and so like right now I'd go out and harvest huckleberries a couple of months back, it would have been uh, small blackberries. So let's just take the small blackberries. We have these little wild blackberries that are highly prized, incredibly filled with um, super good nutrition, and they make great pies, etc. right? These little wild blackberries. We also have the big giant blackberries, Marion berries, all different kinds of berries here. But these um, little wild blackberries grow along the sides of the road. Up here in the Olympics, they grow over entire hillsides. And I, as a kid, when I was in the 70s, uh, uh, when jobs were not available because there was so much competition for the jobs uh, and there, you know, the economic activity was impacted by the inflation as well, that's another thing that's going to happen is that jobs will start disappearing uh, because the employers won't be able to uh, expend enough money to create that job. They won't have the income necessary to create that job. So uh, you'll end up having to do something anyway. But in the 70s, what I would do is I'd go on out and do this resource harvesting. So uh, where I was living, I would have had a much harder time of it, more expenditure cost to get out and do the resource harvesting, etc. cetera. Uh, but it was still very, very, very profitable. Um, so just as an example, I used to go and hunt mushrooms. Uh, morels, chanterelles, whatever, right? Uh, whatever the season was for these guys. And uh, you know, there was one time uh, that I happened to come across a, a real flush of chanterelles and I picked all day long and just loaded up my little truck. And um, that day uh, when a county clerk kind of a job paid you $235 a month. I know this because my wife was working for the county at the time. Uh, I made $1,500 harvesting mushrooms in that single day. So that's the kind of jump, so to speak, you need over the inflation these days in order to be able to, um, to basically survive and thrive, right, during this period of time. And so uh, these days, what I would do, like I say, I would a couple of months back, I would have harvested the little wild blackberries. Those things, uh, you can freeze them, you clean them, you wash them, uh, lightly coat them with uh, sugar as a preservative, and you freeze them. And they, right now, I think they're going for $95 a gallon um, minimum, right? So uh, there's restaurants in New York 
that I did this for in the 70s, and I didn't get anywhere near this kind of uh, nominal dollar amount on these, but I was still picking up, even in the 70s, I was still picking up $25 a uh, gallon of cleaned frozen wild blackberries. And what I did, okay, so, so the strategy is you go and you find the free stuff and you figure out a way to turn that free stuff into profit for you. So in this case, my free stuff was the berries. And then I could have just sold the berries. I would have been happy. I would have been making money there as a, um, uh, just selling into the market. And I controlled my cost because my costs were basically my labor, how long I worked, uh, if I had another job, the gas to get me there, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, and okay. So I was not as astute in, the, in my youth as I am now. And so I did things badly. I learned and so on. But some of the things I did learn was that, oh, um, there's ways to, there's strategies and tactics. So the strategy is to find the free stuff and turn it to profit. The tactics within that uh, include maximizing the profit by adding value to it. So you add value to the, the wild blackberries by gathering them, cleaning them, uh, uh, freezing them, putting them in appropriate packages, and then you can go and sell them. Now, you can, at that time, you could go in and sell them into the market. Here, I think they were going for like $15 uh, a gallon locally if you sold them locally. And bear in mind, okay, so there was no Craigslist. There was no easy way to sell things. There was no internet connectivity. Everything cost more in terms of time to arrange stuff out of state, yada, yada, yada. So there were bigger impacts on us then in the 70s than you will find today because you have easier um, avenues to be able to conduct this sort of business, right? And so in the 70s, what I determined was that, oh, well, look, I can get $15 uh, a gallon for these things here now uh, just by taking them down to this particular place in Olympia and selling them, and it would put it into the market. Same thing with mushrooms. You just sold them to local mushroom buyers, right? And uh, didn't worry about it after that. And you got paid, I think it was like 7 or $8 a, a pound for these uh, mushrooms then. Uh, yeah, I think it was something like that. Anyway, it'll been, it's been a long time. Anyway, though, so I determined that, oh, well, I could add value to uh, these berries by not selling them locally, by going to the trouble of packing them frozen for shipment and arranging the shipment and paying for the shipment and, and basically mailing gallons of uh, frozen wild Washington State <laughs> small blackberries to restaurants in New York and Boston, even in Washington, D.C. And so I had a, for a while there in the 70s while I did this, I, for maybe maybe it was three years. So every year for three years, I, I did harvesting as a, um, uh, a side gig and I did the wild blackberries and, uh, I had a stable of restaurants that I could just call up and say, how many gallons do you want? And they would take them because I gave them a discount on the first gallon in order to get them to buy it. It arrives there. Everything is, as I say, it is, they love them. And so they're more inclined to, um, go with me and, and agree with me the next time that I have some for sale, right? And this is, was a treat food they'd never gotten before. And so it really enhanced their restaurant and it, and it was a draw for them. The place in, um, 
Washington, D.C. that third year. I can't think of the restaurant now, but it was um, uh, it's like a major fucking restaurant in Washington, D.C. in the 70s. I don't even know if it exists now, but nonetheless, at that time, uh, these guys used it. Uh, they made wild blackberry sauces for their homemade ice creams or restaurant-made ice creams. And uh, they made little tarts and all of this sort of thing out of them. So they used it as a draw to increase uh, their uh, street traffic. And they were really kind of upset when they called me on that fourth year and I wasn't doing it because I'd had uh, some serious work that was paying me really good money at the time. And so I just couldn't divert. And, and it was also taking up a lot of time. And I didn't do resource hunting that, that year. Uh, but for those four years, that was a, it was a really good way to make a, a money because I would work some kind of a job. During that period of time, there were just no real solid jobs anywhere. So you'd do like day labor. I worked uh, restoring FHA houses, uh, repo houses. I, I worked in recycling centers, sorting through trash, all different kinds of stuff, right? And in the meantime, and also I'd had my side gig there and I would do resources. So I'd do mushrooms, I'd do huckleberries, I'd do wild blackberries of all different kinds. Um, wild fruits in the, cause I knew at the time of a couple of old abandoned orchards and so on. Right. And so with the wild fruits, some of those, I would make Comstock apples out of them. So I would sell to the restaurants, not just the wild harvested apples. They could get apples in their local area, but the wild harvested apples, uh, in a, um, form that they could just dump into a pie shell and make into a, an apple pie would not much trouble. And so they really liked this, right? Uh, and again, it's just a matter of being creative and thinking about what your client needs and how you can use your labor, controlling your costs uh, and setting your own prices in order to compensate for the hyperinflation that's destroying the purchasing power of the money that's being paid to you for your job. Now, People in the in the uh, in an older stage of life now, you're going to have to try and protect your ability to have purchasing power. And so these days, so that's a different approach, right? You don't have the labor, you don't have the ability to control costs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what you can do is to be smart about it and understand that um, what's happening is the currency is devaluing; it's losing its purchasing power relative to the amount of debt that it has on it. And that is uh, causing all of our problems here. The This problem causing will or, or has and will result in sound, solid stores of wealth escalating in relative dollar terms. Just hasn't happened at the moment because the evil Wefonians, the central bank cabal, the um, World Economic Forum and the Rothschilds and all the central banks, etc., etc., are suppressing the price of gold, silver and Bitcoin and other crypto assets, doing it deliberately so that their product, the dying central bank currency, will look better in comparison. And that's all they're doing is they're just suppressing it only to keep their product going, right? And so as they suppress their product, we get this situation where gold and silver at the moment are not rising in notional and, and notational and nominal dollar values. 
they're just sort of sitting there and hovering around, but there's pressure and investors can tell you, well, look, you know, there's this amount of purchasing pressure on silver. Silver is leaving these various places and going into um, uh, disappearing out of our silver suppressions uh, system at this particular rate. And so that's how you have to think about this, right? Is that they have a system set up to suppress the, the price of gold and silver and it's dying at a particular uh, speed. And so what you have to be aware of is that that speed will be affected. It'll be altered by the, the conditions that are uh, occurring and developing as we go forward. And that to a, to a very real extent, right at the moment, the price suppression system that they have for gold and silver is basically subsidizing your ability to purchase gold and silver because it's pushing down the, and, and cryptos, it's pushing down the price in dollar terms. They, and they're doing this because they don't want you to convert your dollars over to gold and silver. And so it's, it's counterintuitive, right? Because personally, I want to buy an asset when it's, when it's low cost, but they know that by keeping the, uh, the number associated with gold, so whatever it is, you know, 17, 1800, whatever is the, the price of gold or, or the price of silver or, you know, $20 or whatever it is, right? Um, they know by keeping these numbers low, you will think less, okay? So they're trying to rubbish the, your emotional impression of these assets based on um, their ability to, to manipulate the other side of the trade, which is the dollar value. But the suppression system is breaking down and the gold and silver is leaving the system itself. At the point, at some point, it will occur that so much gold and silver will have left the system that they will no longer be able to suppress the price, at least as effectively. And then you'll start seeing price creep and then it'll eventually break. And by eventually, that might be two weeks or three weeks or a month from the point that we start getting the price creep uh, out of the suppression system. And this will be when we have a certain amount of gold and silver that has left uh, the system. So they don't have the ability to short that silver, short that gold anymore. And thus they have to now start uh, paying uh, actual demand rates uh, for these and we'll see them escalate. And then at some point we'll see them escalate very, very, very fucking rapidly. That's when you're going to know that the um, dollar is effectively dead. It may take it several years, might take it 10 years before we get rid of the central bank here in the United States. But I bet you we effectively get rid of the ability of the dollar to control our economy and the uh, Federal Reserve to control the economy. I bet you that goes uh, in a relatively short period, like maybe two or three years uh, once all of the shit starts happening. And we're real close. Okay. I don't know at what point, so I can't say if 50% of what's remaining in COMEX leaves, then we'll get into this particular, uh, we'll segue into this particular level of um, uh, rising prices and uh, crashing dollar. I, I can't say what that value assay is uh, as a trigger for these things, because I don't know how their suppression system is held together and where what its uh, weak 
points are, but we're getting very close to it because at some point we will have drawn down here. And I think it, at these current levels, there uh, I've been told that it would be February or so, and we would, we would get to the point where the uh, silver suppression scheme won't be able to give out silver in order to suppress the price. I don't know what they're going to do after that, uh, but I suspect that they're getting ready, they're planning for a hyperinflationary uh, period of time. So we may get to the point here in 2023 where uh, the United States resembles Argentina in that we may have 75 or uh, 80 percent interest rates and mortgage rates might be 112 percent because we've got you know 100 percent inflation every year but that kind of shit's coming so anyway so strategies and tactics as an old fart you can buy uh, gold silver bitcoin and and a few other cryptos and simply hold on to them uh, it is a gamble uh, you know i am uh, confident that things will work out in a particular way and that we're in a period of hyperinflation all of the signs are there for that and um, uh, it's it's basically quite certain that this will occur the only thing that is at issue is the when of it all you know when will this particular aspect pop up we know it'll happen within these next few years could happen in the next few weeks yeah, but there's just no way of determining this ahead of time However, the general trend uh, can be relied on to keep functioning. And that general trend is going to eventually get to the point where the uh, drain on the suppression system means that the suppression system breaks and we get a freeing of gold, silver, Bitcoin, etc. relative to the dollar amounts. And then they go escalating way up. And then the funny part happens, the counterintuitive part happens, and that people start buying them like mad because they, because other people are buying them, right? And so they, at that point, everybody recognizes that the dollar has hit a really tough period. So in the 70s, an example of this was uh, we didn't have online silver and gold sales. We didn't have online, period. So when we get the Nixon taking us off the gold standard, which they say temporarily closed the gold window, and the gold window was the Federal Reserve would take dollars from overseas and give them gold in exchange. Our gold, which the Federal Reserve didn't own, they didn't buy, they just uh, got Congress to give it to them, and they handed it out for the dollars. So anyway, uh, they eventually got to the point where they couldn't hand out any more gold, and that was in 1971, and Nixon took us off the gold standard and closed the gold window. And that's how it'll happen. It'll just happen, you know, one, one Friday night, one Sunday night, something like that. There'll be some form of an announcement, and then the next day everything goes crazy. So when Nixon did that, it was not two weeks before there were lines. In fact, I think even one week. Um, in the small little burg of Olympia. Yeah, it's a state capital in the, in Washington state, but it was not that big in the 70s. And, um, uh, but within two weeks, we had lines at the four stores in, the, uh, in Thurston County, or in that area of Olympia, that sold silver and gold. People would just line up in the morning to buy silver and gold. At that time, uh, throughout that hyperinflationary period, it got so bad in terms of being able to get your hands on stuff that locally people were paying $100, and that would have been 70, 
I want to say 74 or 75, 73 or 74 or 75, people in Olympia were paying $100 per silver eagle. So it was $100 an ounce for silver at that point to obtain it and get it in your hands. And that delivery times on silver, uh, buying it in bulk and stuff, were uh, it was a situation of pay your money and wait three and four months. Now we're getting back to that uh, same situation, right? Where there's a, you pay your money, there's also a big premium, and then you wait, and you wait, you wait, you wait. Sometimes 10 days, sometimes three to four weeks, depending on what you're purchasing. So uh, we're, we're there, we're very close on that breaking again the way it did in the 70s. Uh, I don't know if it's gonna be Biden saying something like Nixon said something that caused it all to happen, or what the actual trigger will be. But as I say, we're very close, things are changing. Now, the people that are really in a difficult bind are the, um, the middle of life people, right? Because they, they are planning on a retirement that won't exist. You can't count on 401ks, you can't count on a stock market, you cannot count on any kind of uh, government-backed or approved uh, retirement system because it's all based on the Federal Reserve's uh, Ponzi scheme uh, paper dollar and their upcoming digital dollar. And the current digital dollar as well and these are going into a period of hyperinflation. They expect and they hope, I guess, to convert us out of hyperinflation by giving us all digital dollars. I hear that uh, Biden's gonna make an announcement that they're gonna be doing this on December 13th. They're gonna have it uh, come out. It's called FedPay or something like that. Uh, it's a payment system. They're not touting it as a currency. They're not touting it as a dollar replacement, but it is indeed both of those. It's a digital central bank, digital currency put out by the Fed, and it's intended to replace the dollar. They want you to use this Fed pay in lieu of cash, and they want to go to a cashless society. And they want you to suffer the cashless society for some number of months before you actually get your Fed pay stuff. So they're going to have, as of October 1, many major stores will suddenly start saying, you know, like Starbucks has already announced, they're not going to take cash after October 1. So, man, I'm just loving that because I cannot wait to file that lawsuit because they are, you know, I mean, this is this is an illegal act. They're taking away from me in, uh, the ability to transact in legal tender and insisting I use this um, uh, uh, particular means to interact with them, yet they are taking uh, resources from the public as though they were a legitimate store. And as soon as they say they're cashless and they won't accept your legal tender, they might, you might as well be dealing with somebody in Azerbaijan that won't take a dollar, that sort of thing, right? And so in this case, we have the, the rest of the infrastructure supporting that store and they won't um, participate in that infrastructure in the sense of using legal tender. So it's, it's my thinking that if I am indeed placed in that situation where Starbucks refuses to take my paper dollar, then fuck it, I will sue them. And I'll actually see if I can't work it to get the courts and the uh, Federal Reserve on my side against <laughs> Starbucks uh, because there's some huge legal holes uh, legal liabilities, loophole, not loopholes, but legal liabilities that Starbucks placing themselves in by going this route and by being one of the first out there. Um, 
And I'm not doing this to make money or anything. I'm, I'm, my whole point is that should this happen to me, I will be aggrieved and I'm going to file a suit against that grievance, against that damage that was done to me by the evil fucking corporation Starbucks. And, and we'll see how it goes, right? Um, anyway, though, so I think Starbucks could get a shitload of such lawsuits and that this will effectively curtail their enthusiasm for a cashless society. Uh, we saw sort of the same kind of thing happen in parts of India when they started trying to go cashless there. Uh, a lot of people threw a stink and, and um, uh, some things changed. Anyway, though, so the people in the middle of the, of the bulge here, those people that are both working and attempting to plan for retirement, have the worst of the situation because they're, gonna, they're, they're basically locked into a fixed uh, job and income status but the, all of the costs are now out of their control and, and ballooning, ballooning like mad, and they can't count on their uh, savings being held by the government as in being there when they need them. So it's going to be a very interesting time all the way around. We're already seeing it happen locally. I keep talking to my local uh, business people about how their businesses are doing and this sort of thing and getting the feel for it all. Um, and we're already getting really wonky. All of the uh, business activity that local business guys have counted on as being a steady um, a steady activity, a steady rate of flow uh, over time are all shot. So guys are saying, you know, they've been in business in this area for seven years and now, you know, none of it is working out the way that uh, it used to that over the course of seven years, they would know that, you know, in this particular store, that on Fridays and uh, the weekends, it was going to be very, very busy through Monday, and then Tuesday and Wednesday wouldn't be busy, and then you'd pick up again on Thursday and so on. Now they're saying none of that pertains anymore. It's all off the, the charts here. So, uh, like I say, you've got to recognize where we are at and start developing strategies and tactics to deal with it. Uh, analyze what your situation is and then start uh, ignore everything else focus only on your situation and those things that you will have to do to compensate for what we're going to be going through because the storm has arrived right it's an economic storm as well as a political storm and in fact politics is entirely economic in nature and the economy is entirely political in nature you cannot separate the, these. And so thus we get to this particular point uh, right now where all of us are living. And it's um, not necessarily the, uh, well, okay, so it is the best of times because things are changing and the mother weffers are gonna go away uh, as a result of this war. But it is certainly the worst of times for any kind of planning and thinking and and all this sort of thing uh, about your economic future and how you're going to proceed uh, over the course of time to implement that future. Anyway, guys, uh, stay woo and um, work on your strategies and tactics. If you're not planning and thinking about it, you're going to be suffering it.